Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Daniel Gallen and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome back into the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn State Health. Dustin Hawkinsmith here alongside Daniel Gallen. We are looking ahead a bit here on this edition to National Signing Day coming up next Wednesday. We've also got some Penn State news to cover. And what has been a, a pretty busy little stretch here, Penn State's still in the market for a defensive coordinator. But Daniel, uh, got some good news this week. However, it ended up coming about. I want you to kind of break down the reporting on this thing. But Anthony Poindexter, Penn State's co-defensive coordinator slash safeties coach, is coming back for another year. That's what he texted to uh, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. And obviously, good news on the surface here to not lose both of your coordinator types on the defensive side of the ball in the same offseason. Yeah, that, it's definitely a huge development for Penn State this offseason, especially when you talk about continuity and, and trying to keep that defensive staff together. Uh, not to mention the job that Poindexter did this year with Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown. Kind of a wild uh, week or so. I think it's been a week since Bronco Mendenhall suddenly announced that he was stepping down at Virginia. Uh, no one really it saw that. It only feels like a year. It only feels like a year. It's only been a week. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I read something that someone referred to it as two weeks ago or a few weeks ago. And I was like, I don't think that's right. Um, but it was a, a pretty sudden announcement out of Charlottesville. Poindexter's name was floated uh, pretty much right away um, by ESPN's Adam Rittenberg um, as someone to watch. Poindexter obviously is a All-American College Football Hall of Famer, went to Virginia. His number three is retired. He was on the staff there for 11 years from 2003 to 2013, worked his way up from graduate assistant all the way to special teams coordinator, a defensive, I think defensive backs coach, just kind of worked his way up the ladder um, and has kind of bounced around the past couple of years. All the reporting kind of pointed to Poindexter during the day Monday. I think Adam Rittenberg reported that UVA Brass was in Vegas to meet with Poindexter because that's where he was getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Um, on Monday night, a report from Jerry Ratcliffe, who covers uh, UVA pretty closely, said that the hiring was imminent. And then suddenly on Wednesday, uh, a little bit after me and Bob Flounders uh, wrapped up an extensive conversation about Poindexter going to UVA and that combined with Brent Pry being at Virginia Tech, what that might mean uh, for Penn State, especially on the recruiting front. Suddenly uh, there's reporting from Sports Illustrated, ESPN. Uh, pretty much everyone that uh, Virginia was moving its focus to Tony Elliott, uh, the offensive coordinator from Clemson. A little bit after that, Adam Rittenberg uh, tweeted out the the message from Anthony Poindexter that he was um, going to stay at Penn State. So felt like a done deal based on some of the reporting and speculation. It looks like that it just kind of there is something in the negotiation, some sticking point. That's where everything fell through. And that is probably what will bring Anthony Poindexter back to Penn State for another year. Whether or not he becomes the full-time defensive coordinator, it remains to be seen. I would be very curious as to what kind of responsibilities fall under that co-defensive coordinator title um, because Brent Pry wasn't a co-defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator 
Um, so you kind of wonder uh, about how much, how much you do there, um, what those responsibilities are. But on Sunday night, uh, Franklin said that in looking for a defensive coordinator, he wants to keep some continuity, uh, given that they've recruited players to the scheme. They have a decent number of guys who are pretty good in this scheme, especially those linebackers. Um, so we'll see kind of what that means. And if Poindexter coming back, what that might or might not set into motion these these next couple of days. Yeah, so whatever that snag represents, it's bringing Poindexter back. It is it is um, not full-on scramble mode to reassemble that defensive staff, which is obviously good. You know, it's a fair question to ask, like, if Anthony Poindexter is good enough to be the, the prime candidate for a head coaching job in the ACC, why would he not be good enough to be a full-time defensive coordinator at Penn State? And I think, I, you know, we'll get the answer to that question eventually. Huge win right now for James Franklin, whether Poindexter is the coordinator next year or whether he's back in a similar role. But I, I think uh, Poindexter, fantastic job with those safeties. I mean, Brisker was already kind of on his way. Jair Brown showed some flashes, I think, in limited duty in 2020, but he took a big step forward too. Um, they do want that philosophical continuity, as James Franklin pointed out, and and Poindexter would would bring that. So it'll be an interesting thing to see how this coordinator search develops and whether Poindexter is the guy there or not. But ultimately, you know, Poindexter is going to continue rising up that ladder somehow, some way. It's just a matter of, you know, how, how long is he at Penn State and where does Penn State fall on that ladder? Yeah, and I think something, too, that you kind of have to factor in with him is – there's the extra variable there of going to UVA, his alma mater. That's where he's a legend. Um, I think that that's probably something that might or might not have kind of accelerated his head coaching clock because you don't normally think of like, oh, we're going to hire a safeties coach to be our uh, our head coach or like, I mean, obviously he has the pretty extensive defensive coordinator over the past uh, decade, but you know, he's only 45, still kind of on the, the younger-ish side, um, obviously extensive experience. But in terms of being a head coaching candidate, he was probably the only place he was a head coaching candidate this offseason that was like a power five school was probably Virginia. So I think that's a variable. And I think that he's someone who could probably stick around for a couple of years, depending on depending on how things go what could get him into that sort of primary pool for coaching candidates would be a successful run as a defensive coordinator at a school like Penn state, no disrespect to what he did at UConn and Purdue, but this would be a kind of a different ball game if he leads a defense and they're nationally relevant for, for this stretch. So we'll see good news though, for him coming back, Uh, looking at the Outback bowl against Arkansas, we knew some of this would start coming out. It was kind of a matter of who would opt out, rather than if somebody would opt out. So the first domino fell this week, Traylon Burks, standout wide receiver for Arkansas. One of those guys, big physical guy who was going to be tough to match up with, even for that Penn State secondary. So he hops, opts out. First and foremost, just in terms of impact on this game, Arkansas is passing uh, a game, I mean, pretty good, and Burks was at the heart of that. So it can only kind of help this Penn State team uh, match up. They're already favorites going in, but, uh, obviously not having to face a potential first round pick can only help. Yeah. And you look at what Burks was for the Arkansas offense, 67 catches, 1,123 yards, 11 touchdowns, uh, the second leading receiver on the team, 21 catches, 305 yards, two touchdowns. So 
KJ Jefferson, when he was back there to pass, he's probably looking for Traylon Burks. Um, Burks, six foot three, 225, probably would have been a handful for Joey Porter and Tariq Castro Fields, even though both of those are kind of bigger, uh, longer cornerbacks. Um, so that would have been a lot of fun to see. Yeah, it's obviously it's a big loss for the Arkansas offense. Um, on Sunday night, Sam Pittman was kind of like, I don't want to say that he downplayed the opt-outs, but he was kind of like, oh, like I'm not really expecting to have any. We're expecting our, our team to to stay intact, which I thought was um, a little bit interesting of a tax to take. Whereas James Franklin, um, when he's been asked about it, he's just said, those are conversations that are happening. We'll make players will announce when when they want to. So we're still waiting to hear on the Penn State side um, who will opt out. But yeah, I mean, when when the matchup got announced, I was really looking forward to seeing Traylon Burks. Um, Mel Kuyper Jr. has him as the number 24 prospect in the draft. Todd McShay has him at number 27. And for both of them, he's their number six uh, wide receiver. Wide receiver class this year is just pretty, pretty absurd, um, at least at the college level. Um, we'll see what they are actually as, as pro prospects. But I mean, a couple of years after or two years after we had the generational uh, class with Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, CD Lamb. I mean, we're going to have another pretty, pretty stacked class. So uh, huge loss for Arkansas. What we've sort of talked about off air in terms of a bowl game being good for development. Arkansas is going to be leaning on some guys that are probably going to be getting some, some real experience and uh, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch. It's going to be some names that aren't necessarily familiar. So got to study up on those depth charts. Let me first go back to something you said about that generational draft class for starters. You did not mention Jalen Rieger, and I think that's insulting <laughs> to Philadelphia Eagles fans everywhere. But yeah, I think it feels like every year you can say, wow, what a wide receiver class. And that's what really, you know, speaking of wide receivers, and we'll talk about Jahan Dotson and his decision making in this process too. But you know, that's the the big variable in terms of projecting is Traylon Burks, is Jahan Dotson, are they going to be first round picks? Well, it kind of depends on on how it shakes out and how many wide receivers and how how teams feel like they can wait until round two because there are so many good ones available. So that'll be worth watching. But so Burks is out. We haven't heard anything from Jahan Dotson or Jaquan Brisker at this point in time as we sit here right now. No better way to have that come to fruition than to record and talk about how we haven't heard it. But your expectation for those guys, you know, not that you're giving them advice or anything, but, you know, both of them have pretty good reason to to not expose themselves to any risk at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. And and that's what it's about. I mean, these guys have a pretty important couple months coming up. Um, obviously, Dotson has the option to come back next year and hasn't officially said that he'll be skipping his last year. He hasn't officially said that he would be skipping the bowl game. That's kind of you know, James Franklin has been very much like, we're going to let these guys and we're going to announce it at a certain time. They're going to announce it at a certain time, which kind of leaves a lot of stuff up in the air. Um, but I think that you just kind of got to look at it like the drafts in April. So if you get hurt on January 1st, that takes you out for the entire pre-draft process. Um, and then depending on what the injury is, who knows if you're ready by the time training camp opens. And there's just, it's a thing where there's millions of dollars at stake for these guys and there's long-term security and long-term futures. And you want to play. I think that all these, I think especially Dotson, Brisker, guys like Arnold Abiketti that could go to the draft. I mean, they showed this year that they're competitors that they're going to play through 
um, no matter really what's going on, especially Brisker. Um, you know, he went down three times in that Wisconsin game and came back every time. So who knows what he was playing through the rest of the year after that. So I think that these guys just, it's a tough decision. And obviously if you're a fan, you want to see your, the best players on your team play selfishly as someone who's going to be at the game and, and enjoys watching some of these players. I was really looking forward to seeing Traylon Burks on one sideline trying to match whatever Jahan Dotson or someone else on the other sideline was doing. These announcements usually come at pretty inconvenient times for us. Um, so you just kind of got to, got to wait and see. And uh, it's going to, it's going to be a very different Penn state team on the field, January 1st, than what we saw uh, on November 27th. And even if there aren't too many opt-outs, it'll be a different team in terms of that, like you're going to see probably a lot of Kalen King in the secondary. You're probably going to see a lot of Jalen Reed at safety. Probably going to see a lot of Malik Mega um, at wide receiver, no matter no matter who's playing. So it's valuable practice time for these guys, and it'll be valuable game reps going into what will be a, a pretty important offseason with kind of what Penn State needs to do um, after how they finish the year. You know, there's a risk-reward assessment that has to be done from these types of players, and Honestly, I think the magnitude of the bowl game really factors into that. You know, you're seven to five, you're playing in the Outback Bowl. You know, that's a lot different than playing in a New Year's Six Bowl against a top 10 team and, and that kind of thing. So I think that changes the math for some of these guys and whether you are open to that risk or not. And I would also say, you know, you made the mistake of calling this an exhibition game in one of your stories. I, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to view it and approach it and, and view it through the lens of it being a developmental game because – you know, you look at some of these two these positions, the wide receiver spot and the safety spot. Let's say Jahan Dawson, whether you know, and Jaquan Brisker, whether they do or don't play, don't you as a fan, if you're you know sitting here watching this, aren't you curious what things are going to look like with the Jalen Reed or Keaton Ellis um, alongside Jair Brown? Let's just assume for a second that he is coming back. Uh, don't you want to see? Okay, is Malik Mega? for real or not. How comfortable and how good is this passing game if Parker Washington is your number one instead of your number two? Aren't you fascinated to try to start getting some kind of answer to those questions? Yeah, exactly. That This is a, a glimpse at the future. Um, obviously, if Penn State was in the playoff, um, maybe if they were even in the Rose Bowl or another New Year's Six Bowl. I know that Saquon Barkley made a cameo uh, in the Fiesta Bowl at the end of his career. That's, that's another thing that I'm also curious that that's probably another option um, that these guys have. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll see them for, for a couple series or a quarter or something like that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like the Outback Bowl for better or worse is more about 2022 than it is about 2021. Obviously some of the guys that this will be their last game, you want to send them off on a good note. Um, you want to enjoy the experience, but from kind of the the nitty gritty football perspective, this is about, okay, we're going to throw some of these guys into the deep end of the pool, see what they can do. What is Landon Tangwall uh, going to do with, with extensive playing time? Just kind of a bunch of questions like that, that I think that we're going to get not necessarily answers to, but, but information on. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Curaleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Curaleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com 
or stop in to see us at any of our 12 locations. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. Uh, one other piece of news, then we'll shift to signing day real quick and just look at you know what's going on with that leading up to Wednesday. Uh, Des Holmes, redshirt senior offensive lineman, headed to the transfer portal, according to reports this week. I don't think a huge surprise here. You know, he's in his fifth year. He's got that bonus sixth season coming up. It didn't really look like if his time hadn't arrived to be a starter by now, it wasn't going to arrive. I don't think next year either. He was kind of stuck in that, you know, he was good enough to be number two in a couple spots on the depth chart. But even, even this year, it looked like he had maybe lost ground instead of gained it. So I think a fresh start for him someplace else uh, looked like it was um, imminent. And I think it's also good for good for him, probably good for Penn State, too. Yeah, I think when you look at kind of how the, the offensive line picture played out this year, that if he was unable to, to work his way um, into some sort of rotation um, or into some sort of playing time based on some of the struggles that they had, that that's kind of um, indicative. I mean, Penn State really only played six offensive linemen. Um, the whole year uh, with, with Bryce Effner being the the swing guy and, and the top backup. So obviously the six years is good for guys like that, where he can transfer somewhere um, and, and play. He can go somewhere where I guess probably transferring down a level, you know, whether it's group of five or, or FCS, but he can go somewhere and play. And that's kind of um, what the, what the portal gives an opportunity um, for some of these guys, if you're if you're keeping Squirt home, he's the third uh, player to leave. Uh, Tyler Rudolph uh, is no longer listed on the Penn State roster. Um, Enzo Jennings is still listed on the roster, but he's reportedly in the portal um, and now does homes. So three guys to the portal. It's funny, and and we'll shift to signing day. But you had at one point in time bowl opt outs were the big college football national emergency. Uh, the transfer portal, and some might say it still is kind of an emergency. It's certain it's certainly a culture changer in college football. And now the early signing period, which was designed to help guys get to the finish line faster in the recruiting process, maybe get their focus back to either football or academics or finishing high school, whatever. Uh, now is kind of I wouldn't call it an emergency, but it's it's reportedly going to be under the microscope of the NCAA. And you know that the NCAA acts swiftly and properly at all times. So they're going to make the right decision on this thing. But it does factor in at least a little bit to the timing of all this coaching madness, too, because every program wants and needs to have their coach in place in December leading up to the signing period so they can go out and secure their class and get guys to come back into the fold or go out and recruit some more, you know, it's kind of ramped up um, the the timetable for all the coaching maneuvering as well. But now here we are December 15th, I, not a lot of action on Penn state's front. You know, I don't think losing Brent pry um, at this stage really affects much with, with recruits. Certainly nobody looks like they're posturing towards reconsidering as a result. So it should be, you know, knock on wood from Penn State's perspective, uh, a relatively quiet push to this signing period with 25 guys committed right now. They got their class together early um, and it's pretty much stayed intact. There's been a little bit of movement. Uh, Jordan Allen, the cornerback from Louisiana, uh, decommitted earlier this year. He actually tweeted yesterday that he got an LSU offer. So that's interesting uh, landing spot for him. And then uh, Spencer Rollins, the uh, grad transfer offensive lineman from Harvard um, announced that he was decommitting and I guess he was technically still in the transfer portal. Um, so he'll be, he'll be someone that, that ends up elsewhere, but 
yeah, I think that obviously with recruiting, you never know. <laughs> crazy, crazy things can happen. Uh, someone's national letter of intent could just show up uh, in state college on uh, next Wednesday and we would have no no inkling of that happening. But yeah, I mean, I think James Franklin and, and his staff have done a good job of kind of getting a head start on this, uh, using that big July um, and then just kind of holding on um, down the stretch. So I think that obviously there's the there's the chance that there could be some more movement, whether that's decommitments, additions, something in between both. But there's not going to be anything necessarily earth shattering. Some of the other classes that are behind Penn State in the national rankings that have you know 16, 17 uh, commitments. I think that's where there's going to be be some action. And then there's probably some guys that will have signed national letters of intent, but won't announce until various all-star games. Um, that's something else to watch too. So it's going to be a quiet week, I think, uh, for Penn State. But at the same time, with what you said, with this being the early signing period, it, it does feel a little rushed, um, just kind of in general. Um, I think that when this was instituted, the thought was that, oh, guys that are decided, they can just get it done, get it over with now. I don't think that it was supposed to become the day, the event day. Um, and just the the condensed month with all the movement happening is just kind of, it's it's pretty wild. It is pretty wild. And I think um, it's it, like, it just is signing day. Like it's not the early signing period. You look at guys who are, um, you know, like look, look at Keon Sab, for example, he was committed to Clemson. He looked like he, at one point in time, he was really considering Penn state. Penn state was in the running for him. So he decommits from Clemson and he says immediately, like, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm deciding by December 15th. That, I think that kind of says it all. Nobody wants to be on the outside looking in when these spots that are hypothetical until December 15th, when they become official, nobody wants to be squeezed out. And that is what kids are going to fear is, is going to happen if they don't make their decision and, and sign now. So James Franklin likes to say a lot that he tries to talk kids out of committing when they're, when they're trying to commit. And I think there's some probably connection between that philosophy and that approach and how quiet national signing days typically are for Penn State. There are a couple surprises here and there, especially, you know, there you do welcome a new dynamic with the early signing period of what it means when a kid doesn't sign in the early signing period. Sometimes that means, like, I'm trying to look back. There was a wide receiver, um, Shaquan Anderson Butts, I think, who I, he didn't, he, he was committed, didn't sign early. And then I think it kind of turned out that it was academic related. He ended up going the JUCO route and all that. So there are sometimes some things that come up that aren't, you know, this huge dramatic thing, but should be quiet, knock on wood and, and, and watching, you know, and I think all things considered to, to roll that July momentum through a season that was disappointing in some respects through guys like Nick Singleton and Drew Aller, seeing their stocks kind of soar between July and now and still holding on to them. I think it's all a good thing for this 2022 cycle for Penn State. You know, I think it's worth watching as you pointed out, they're they're not going to wrap up December 15th as the number five recruiting class in the country. So I think if you go into it through that lens and understanding that teams behind them are going to pick up three, four, five guys, and they're going to fall in the rankings, doesn't discount how good this class is. It's still going to be one of James Franklin's best at Penn State, and especially when you factor in the fact that they have the five-star quarterback. I think that that kind of automatically makes it the the best class that that Franklin's put together. So there's always something going on. It is kind of like that. None of these kids want to be it's musical chairs, essentially. Um, and especially now with kind of the 
the emphasis on the transfer portal where some schools are signing less high school players. So in general, there's less spots for high school players to land. So everything's, everything's pretty valuable. And when I think about when I was picking my college uh, 10 or 12 years ago, I, I didn't really know, like I was 17, obviously I wasn't really being actively sold and, and recruited on things, but it was a thing where it took kind of a, a couple months. And then I was like, Oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do, I guess. Um, and I can't imagine someone like you mentioned, Keon Sab, where you've been committed to Clemson for a couple months. Uh, that's the place. And then suddenly you might go to, you might follow Brent Venables to Oklahoma. You might end up in Florida. You might end up on the West coast who, who even knows. And so you want to get locked in. You want to know uh, by December 15th. So it's, it's crazy uh, at times. And I wouldn't be surprised if the NCAA, like the, like the reporting that's out there says if they, they get rid of the early signing period, whether that happens in a timely manner and whether there's some weird, unexpected, uh, unintended consequences, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Changes could be coming, but for now, Wednesday, December 15th, will be an action day for Penn State. Guys making their commitments official. We'll have all that on Wednesday, also leading up to So make sure you follow Daniel on Twitter, at Daniel JT Gallon. Uh, follow along, penlive.com slash Penn State football for everything that's going on, the latest in the defensive coordinator search. Hopefully we get a little bit more on Anthony Poindexter, on, on his decision to come back, um, the build-up to signing day, all kinds of good stuff happening there. So check it out. You can locate all of our blue-white breakdown podcasts on Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube as well. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to the Blue White Breakdown. This is the Blue White Breakdown.